Hello and welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and the TV show I am in the steadiest relationship with is Monk, because you wouldn't think, you know, murder and mental illness would give you warm fuzzies, but Monk totally gives me warm fuzzies. I just love it. Monk is so hard to watch sometimes, though. Like, I just feel like I get too cringy. I'm Caitlin. The TV show I have the best relationship with, probably because I'm watching it, is Community. Because I feel like if I were ever a character in a TV show, it would be Abed, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kristen, and the TV show I have the most complicated relationship with right now is The Walking Dead. I feel like I'm a little on again, off again with it. Um, (laughs) Because some of it is so good, and some of it is so terrible. Uh, and I can't stay away from it. (laughs) Uh, And I'm Sarah McCabe, and the TV show that I have the most passionate relationship with right now is WandaVision. I uh, don't expect it to be a long relationship, but at this point in time, we're really hot and heavy. So (laughs) That's how I feel about it, too. (laughs) I was going to say, I was really surprised, because I'm usually not a Marvel person, but I've really liked the way that they the way they put that one together they're just so short and sweet it's not a lot to sit through well it's also a great contrast of like wanda wearing a leotard and like and horns and like the little kids narrating the tv show and then like also everybody's dying and it's really sad it's interesting because it's a show about grief and i think we're all going through so much in this last year that it's like almost cathartic (laughs) to watch wanda go through those same things very good point so a big welcome to sarah mccabe an editor at simon and schuster slash mackleberry Sarah, if you wouldn't mind, uh, take a moment to tell us what book you're working on right now that you're most excited for. As I'm sure all my authors know, this is my least favorite question of all time because I have very strong relationships with my authors and with my books and I hate picking favorites because it's like, pick your favorite child, you know? But I would definitely be remiss, Caitlin, don't blush, if I didn't talk about Caitlin's upcoming book. I'm sitting right here. Well, I don't know if you plug yourself (laughs) enough, so I will plug you. Um, You have an upcoming book called She Who Rides the Storm, and I am so excited for it. It is this, like, really um, layered high fantasy um, that really delves into a lot of ideas around religion and around um, personhood. And it's just, it's really, really lovely. And I, I think it's a big departure from your last series um, in a good way. And I'm really excited for people to be able to start reading it hopefully very soon. Oh, thanks. And this is, it's out in uh, fall 2021. It's like, what year is it? <laughs> so, so this fall, this fall it's is the year. Was, yeah. Soon, soon. So last week, we or a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, agent and author relationships. We want to kind of continue that series of an in-depth look at the publishing process by today talking about author-editor relationships. So Sarah, we're so thrilled to have you on to help uh, give our listeners this angle. So to start us off, would you tell us about the acquisition process? What happens and how for you? Yeah, and you know, this is something that's different probably for different imprints and different houses. But for us at McElderry specifically, um, I'll get a lot of submissions from agents. And when I'm finding something that I'm loving, I will bring it to a team meeting with just kind of the McElderry editors. And we'll all discuss it as a group. And if everyone likes it, you know, hopefully, then I will get the go ahead to take it to an acquisitions meeting, which is a larger group meeting we have with editorial, with sales, with marketing, publicity, basically all like the big players um, in our publishing department. They're the ones who are here to say, you know, like this is marketable in this way. You know, maybe this thing might need to change if we're going to be able to, you know, 
put it out there and find the right audience for it. But again, like if all goes well, then I will be given the go ahead to make an offer. I will make an offer to the agent and hopefully they will accept. There's a lot of like hopefullys here because obviously there's some hiccups that happen along the way for some, you know, I've definitely lost projects with agents that I've really loved. I've had projects turned down in team meetings or in acquisitions that I really loved. But in in the ideal world, if it was my world, (laughs) I could just acquire any book that I wanted. That is kind of the process that we go through. Isn't it true that my... Last Star Burning was the first book that you acquired? It was. It was true. Um, yeah, I acquired that when I was an editorial assistant, and it was my very first project that I worked on by myself. So, yeah, Caitlin has a special place in my heart. <laughs> I've always wondered if that, like, changed our relationship because both of us had never worked like together with anybody else really before so I've always kind of wondered about that. I mean I think it definitely shaped it like especially the authors that I worked with um, very early on you know I, I of course grow very attached to because I was growing along with them so yeah I mean I think it definitely made our relationship stronger probably. Well, probably. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Maybe weaker, but you know. (laughs) No, I just, I was thinking about this the other day because I I feel like I know so many authors who are terrified of their agents at first, and then they're terrified of their editors. Like, I don't know why, maybe. Maybe I've just never been like that. Because I had the experience of working with another editor now, because I have books at two different imprints. And a friend of mine is also working with the same editor. And every time I've talked to her about it, she's been like, and then I hyperventilate when I have to talk to her. And I'm like, really? Why? (laughs) And I don't know if I have like a less than professional relationship with all people now just because of the way I am or if maybe it's healthier to be like that. I don't know. Caitlin, I just think you're really chill. (laughs) You are very chill. (laughs) Um, I mean... I'd like to say that editors aren't scary, but I can't really say that across the board. You know, everyone is different. But I do feel like my generation of editors, kind of like the the newer, um, I don't want to say up and coming because that sounds (laughs) weird, but like the the newer editors who've only been in the business for, you know, less than 10 years. I think we grew up just in a different generation where we're just all a lot more casual and especially accessible. accessible, Yeah, I I think I think so. Um, We're not part of like the old guard of publishing necessarily. So perhaps that also kind of layers into why hopefully I'm easy to talk to as an editor. And I know like a lot of my my coworkers would be the same way. But it also I'm sure just is different from editor to editor. So that's probably true. But I do think that regardless of who the editor is, there is a scary point in the process, which has to be uh, getting the edits. Um, So (laughs) how do you approach editing a manuscript with your author? That's a great question. And and I always try to phrase my edits so that they're not scary, although I know that sometimes they have scared people. But when I'm giving edits, I'm coming at it from a place of love. Like, I love this book, and I see a lot of potential in it. And, you know, for the books that I actually give the most edits on, those tend to be the ones that I'm, like, the absolute most excited for because I have all of these ideas, and I'd love to, you know, discuss with the author ways to implement them. Um, But, you know, like, as, as it's, you know, very common knowledge that you're supposed to give all of your feedback as, like, a compliment sandwich, and also give a lot of your feedback or all of your feedback as suggestions. Um, as an editor myself, I I definitely like to have more of a collaborative relationship with my authors. I never want them to feel like I'm just saying like, this is the problem, here's the fix, now go do it. Like I, I want there to be a conversation between us because a lot of times if I'm 
coming up with an issue and I might give a solution that's not necessarily the right one and that might not be the right fit to the author and so for me it's just best that an author recognizes that I love this book and I'm seeing an issue here and even if what I'm suggesting isn't the right way to fix it that they might start thinking of you know why is this issue here why is she seeing it and what might be a way to fix it that I feel um, strongest about or that feels right to me so that's kind of how I, I approach most of my edits and again all editors are different we all kind of you know set our own pace and we set our own editorial style for me I, I definitely like to start really big picture uh, for the first run of edits I'll do like you know full character arcs or major world building or you know if there's any places where the plot is lagging or is going too fast or if there just needs to be more plot I'll focus on those in the first round and then as the rounds continue I kind of narrow down um, more to the scene level and then the last round is usually kind of like a line level edit and I don't I think that always gets confused for copy edits um, which I do do a little bit of copy editing in that because I was actually a copy editor in college for three years I think so that just kind of comes naturally but line edits really are just making sure the story and the character arcs and the emotions are all there at the line level and so that's kind of how i narrow down my focus to the last you know round of edits and then once that's done that can go off to a copy editor can go off to production and become a book <laughs> copy editor well all editors kind of blow my mind because maybe the more experience you have working with an editor the more you tend to trust that their feedback is a good thing and will make your book better. But I just finished copy edits on She Who Writes the Storm, and the person who copy edited for me just blows my mind. There were so <laughs> many edits where they're like, I'm sorry, but in the last, in the end of the last scene with this character, he was eating a roll, not drinking tea, and would you please fix this? Like, it's all these little tiny things that I'm like, how do you hold all of that in your head? Copy editors because are I incredible. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I was a copy editor for, for newspapers, but I could never do what book copy editors do because they think in like such like minutia and they're so detail oriented. Um, and the, 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 the big thing that they do that I'm always impressed with is they keep track of like schedules. Like if a book, like if this happened on Monday and then it's two days later, then it's Wednesday, it's not Friday. So like little things like that, that they're just incredible. With. So how do you handle it when this is fun for me to be answering this question, <laughs> even though this doesn't usually happen with us. Um, what happens if an author doesn't agree with you about edits? How do you handle that? Well, I have authors disagree with me about edits all the time. What I'm hoping to build in a relationship is the trust that when I'm pointing out something that there might be an issue there, but not necessarily that, you know, what I'm suggesting on ways to fix it is the actual way to fix it. And sometimes like if I'm hitting on something and I'm even calling out like here might be the issue, that's not necessarily correct like there is no like right or wrong here there might be like a different issue that if that were fixed then this other thing would read a lot better so I think ultimately I'm just I really want to build trust with the authors to be able to come to me and you know say okay I I don't agree with this I'd like to talk about it more with you and then together we're able to work out the best solution for the book because you know when it comes down to it we both have the book's um, best interests in mind and the book is, you know, both our babies in different ways. And so, you know, we, we both love it and we want to make sure that it's the best that it can be. I don't think I've ever had an author, like, come at me being like, I hate your edits, you suck. So <laughs> all the authors I've worked with have been really great and have taken revisions really well. And, you know, I, I like authors who challenge me as well, you know, who like come back to me and say like, I disagree and here's why. And that's another thing is if an author comes back to me and says, okay, you pointed this out. 
I disagree with you. Here's why I did it. A lot of times I'm like, okay, I see now what you're trying to do. I didn't necessarily get that in the text. So like, here are some suggestions about maybe ways that we can, you know, make that shine through a little clearer. So I feel like those are two really important points. Um, the first being that if somebody reacts to something in your writing and tries to fix it, especially if you have lay readers, they 90% of the time don't know what the problem is, but they are identifying that there is a problem. Mm -hmm. Editors who are trained to identify problems are, you know, like maybe a little better at that stuff. If somebody points to something in your book and says there is a problem, like there's a problem whether or not you think there's a problem there and something needs to happen. And then the other thing I wanted to say is that your relationship with your editor can't be adversarial because otherwise it's not going to work. And I feel like a lot of people like come at it that way sometimes at the beginning or like, I mean, authors are so attached to their work and I know why, because it's, it takes years to write it and lots of emotions and lots of stuff goes into it. And so you're really excited about the things that you've written. But like Sarah is saying, it's not an adversarial relationship. It's a collaborative one. And if you come at it from a different direction, then you will be in pain the whole time you're <laughs> your book. So don't do that. I mean, your editor is here to be your advocate in-house with your publisher. And like, luckily, again, I've had a lot of authors, or I've, all my authors have understood that. And, you know, we've had an amazing relationship. You know, I, I have heard different horror stories before, but Caitlin's right. It's like definitely an editor is not your enemy. They're not here to tell you everything you're doing wrong. They're here to say, I love your book. I mean, sometimes it, it great. feels like that. <laughs> I know. I know it can. It can. You get like the opening happy paragraph. I loved this. Now here's everything that's wrong with it. <laughs> well, well, to that end of having a good relationship with your editor, are there some other sticky points between agents or between editors and authors that authors should be aware of or are there things that authors can do to make their editor's life easier and hopefully have a better relationship yeah i think that's a really great question one that i don't get asked a lot um and i think for me it's just i really want my authors to be open to communication and i mean that in two ways on one hand like you mentioned earlier caitlin there are some authors who are scared of their editors and I can't speak to all of the editors of course but like for me I want authors to come to me with questions like I'll have authors that email me and say like I'm sorry to bother you but and I'm like no you're not bothering me like this is my job like this is what I this is what I do and I'm absolutely here to be a touchstone for you with the publisher and to be able to answer like any question that you have and so I like when authors are like forward about that because I always want to be as transparent and above board about my process and about the publishing process as possible. And I know there's a lot of misinformation floating around out there. And so anytime that I can just like be really straightforward and answer a question is, is just, it makes our relationship better. And then on the flip side, you know, there are things like, uh, we'll put together a cover and I'll send it to the author and the author doesn't like it. And they can't like pinpoint why. And I, I love authors who are able to come out at a point like we both want this cover to be great. So let's like really focus on the issues that I'm seeing and try to see if we can reach a compromise. I think compromises between the author and the publisher are oftentimes very necessary um, and really important. And like obviously as a publisher, we never want an author to feel like we're you know stomping all over them or like forcing them to accept like a cover or a title or you know whatever against their will uh we always want it to you know be a kind of win-win for both sides so authors who are open to communicating in that way it's always it makes my job a lot easier so i mean i think that you hear a lot of horror stories 
I mean, I think that's something authors have fun talking about. They're like, and then I saw my cover, and it was the worst thing ever. But I think, in general, people want everyone to be happy. I mean, publishers are taking your book and then selling it as a product, and so they have a different idea about what is sacred about this project than authors do. And um, I think having some trust there is really important because you as an author are not a marketing team or whatever else. So book Yeah, you know, I think you hit something really important and it's that publishers and even editors were coming from things oftentimes in a marketing perspective. You know, there's sometimes as an editor, I'm like, I, I like definitely see what the author is saying about like why they want a certain title because it has like a lot of meaning or like what elements they want on the cover because again, it like is really important to the story. But above and, you know, beyond, publishers want to make money. Like that's just the, the fact of the game. And we try to do our best to put out products that are going to sell the most. We have a lot of experience in the kinds of things that are selling. And that's not to say we're always right because we're not we've made mistakes but when we approach things like that it tends to be from like a sales point like here's what we've seen working and here's why we think it's going to work for your book so as an editor too I always have to kind of walk that line because I'm both on the editorial side but then also with the publisher um so it's a it's an interesting line to walk Sure. Well, I mean, and authors have an agent on their side, too, if they're really upset about something. And any author knows if they're really mad about something, they go through their agent and don't put it on their editor. <laughs> yes, I do get a lot of um, agent emails where the author's been taken off. Where <laughs> we oh, have really? to work through things. I do. I mean, you know, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's helpful, though. It's really helpful to have um, people who push back in ways that are productive. All right, then we'll go ahead and move on to the next portion of the podcast where we critique an audience submission. A quick review of how we critique, we try to be non-prescriptive, but you can see this text for yourself and see all of our notes on it on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can also find our submission guidelines there. So a summary of this week's chapter. Desperate for a cash prize, Underdog Phoenix takes on reigning champion Dion in a race through an abandoned skyscraper to win the popular and dangerous game of hide or die. What are some things we like about this submission? I think, first of all, I was just really excited to read an adult fantasy submission because I'm a children's editor, so I only ever read YA or middle grade. Um, so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a fun little way to, to stretch my editorial muscles. But I, I loved this chapter. I think it started off really fun, really action-packed. I love the idea of this game, and I could actually see this working, you know, as an actual reality show today. It did sound like the world here that you've kind of crafted is perhaps a little bit more sci-fi, dystopian. I, I couldn't quite tell from the first chapter, but I think you did a good job of putting the reader right in the action to start with. The one thing that I did note is that I didn't feel like I quite knew the main character for that first chapter. And I, I do think it's really important as a writer for really any genre and any age category to establish your character as soon as possible. I just didn't quite understand as much about why she was so passionate about this and, and, and really needing to win. And I'd love to get like, even just like a little bit more about her. The one other thing I had too was I was very unclear on the rules of this game and you were kind of learning them as you know the chapter progresses, but I think giving a little bit more context up front could be really helpful. So the reader's not kind of struggling to catch up with what you're doing. Yeah, I think one of the things I really loved was it does feel like a world that is complex and has a lot beyond just this game that we've seen. 
and it seems like there's some really interesting dynamics between the main character and the adversarial awful dude who <laughs> like fills her up when she's yeah that was gross but <laughs> anyway if you really want to make people hate a character it's really easy to do it that way which I have thoughts about on both in both directions but anyway I really loved uh, the opening paragraph which I thought was a really fun like I should probably read it, but I don't have it up. No, I agree. I think this story started in the perfect spot. We're right on the cusp of the most important thing that's ever happened in Phoenix's life. And, and you know, the world is complex enough that maybe this author could have felt like they should have started earlier, could have stretched it out. But this is, is so ideal. Just jumping your readers in right at the start of the action. I thought that was really nice. Um, and then this game is... There was so much intensity. It's It's just a game. She's not fighting a real battle, but... Um, the author did a really good job setting up high stakes. You know, Dion is, is hunting her through the skyscraper, and I thought that was really thrilling. Yeah, I thought the pacing was good because things were moving really fast while also giving us information um, in kind of quick and succinct bursts. But I will agree with Sarah. I had a lot of questions about uh, the rules of hide and die. One of the things that you have to do is you have in the game you you have to grab these rings but it wasn't until page six that I realized that they were like jewelry rings that you could put on Mm -hmm. um I was sort of picturing like diving rings or something a little more video gamey and and so just like little details like that would really help me feel less lost as to like what actually the game requires yeah well and also oh sorry Leah go ahead no, I, I was just going to second that. I think two other little details for me in particular. I really wanted to know how many of these rings she had to find so that when she does find some, I could kind of keep track of how she was doing. And then also I was confused about they're carrying around darts with dye in them and bullets with dye in them, but they each only have one dart, but they have a bunch of bullets. So I was I was just confused what um, the purpose of the separate ones were. Yeah, I thought it was supposed to be, like, paintball for a while. Like, I thought it was Mm -hmm. supposed to be him and her shooting at each other. Um, But that turned out not to be the case at all. (laughs) They were shooting at the the drones, right? Well, and also, one of the big promises that's made at the very beginning of this is that the other guy is going to cheat. And I'm not really sure why he does or what the advantage to cheating is. He pulls her away from the cameras at one point and, like, drugs her and, like, beats her up and stuff. But I'm not sure why, because I'm not sure how that helps him or like why he didn't just shoot her with the die, because I'm pretty sure that would have taken her out of the game. And on that note, actually, I'm not really sure if they have a relationship from before this, because it seems like when she's first describing this guy, there's a lot of there's a lot of description of this person. It feels like they have a personal relationship and she has a grudge that is personal. But then when we get into it later, it doesn't seem like he knows her. And then later on, like when they actually face off, it really seems like they don't know each other. But then he says, you think you're better than us at some point. And so he does know her. Like, I just, I have no idea where they're coming from on any of this stuff. And I would love to know, is it personal? Is this like, are there more? I mean, that goes along with what Sarah was saying. Like, we don't know where she's coming from in this. We don't know why she's in the game. We don't know why she hates this guy so much. Like, obviously there's a lot to hate, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to know, you You mentioned the um, you think you're better than us line, and that did, uh, you know, I, I did catch on that because I, I had thought coming in that she, it seemed like she was kind of like from the, the slums of, of the, the world, mm-hmm. and so her like thinking that she's better than them, that like kind of clashed against what I had 
thought of her up to that point, which again, like just layering in a little bit more character information kind of throughout would probably help clear up. But I do want to say the biggest, you know, most important thing that your chapter could do that you successfully accomplished, in my opinion, is that I wanted to read on past 10 pages. I was curious where it would go. And so, you know, I think that, again, just from an editor's standpoint, when I'm reading submissions, those first 10 pages are so important. And if you don't catch an editor there, you're probably not going to catch them at all. So I think you did a good job there of just like really grabbing the reader's attention. I agree. Very exciting. We're about out of time. Does anybody have final thoughts on the chapter? I had one thing that I just wanted to say. There's this cool line that says, if you get shot, you're eliminated. If you make it to the top without the rings, you're eliminated. If you get caught cheating, you're eliminated. And Dion knows these rules, and I bet good money he plans to break at least two of them, which is really cool and forceful and interesting, but logically they sort of threw me for a loop because I'm not sure why Dion would want to get to the top without rings or why he'd want to get shot or why he'd want to get caught cheating. And so... I was a little confused about that. So, Well, thanks to this author for submitting. It was a really fun chapter to read. And Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Our next guest will be Eric Smith, an agent with PS Literary and the author of books, including Don't Read the Comments and the forthcoming You Can Go Your Own Way. If you'd like a critique from Eric, submit your work by February 25th. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Blitz Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Blitz Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.